0: This is the 19th season of Bass Talk Live. BTL is presented by Bass Cat Boats, Strike King Lures, Aftco, Pro Guy Batteries, X-Zone Lures, Shoreline Boat and RV Repair, Spro, Gamakatsu, Big Bite Baits, The Bass Tank, Denali Rods, beatdown outdoors and Sunline.
1: btl coming at you
0: good morning and welcome to another exciting edition of btl bass talk live where we are going to talk about bass fishing and it's been a while since i've been this excited for a show uh we have a legend he is a legend he's in the bass fishing hall of fame the legend of the outdoors and the igfa hall of fame Uh, And one of the first, I would say, big time pros that I met back when I was 12 or 13 years old that made me want to get into this industry. We are going to talk to none other than the one and only Hank Parker. Little news in the Hank Parker world, he just signed with Exxon. Uh, and as you know, I like to incorporate a lot of these show sponsors into the shows. We've had Jim Van Ryan from Exxon on to talk about the business aspect of it, running a, a soft plastics company. Uh, and one of the things that we talked about with, with Jim last year when he was on the show was the importance of selecting the right Uh, pro team the right guys to represent his brands uh and over the course of the years obviously uh polonick uh very uh uh, synonymous with the Exome brand, a couple of other pros. But now Hank Parker is in that. We have a lot of stuff to get to uh, in the second half of the show. Also, for those of you who are asking, Brad Hallman, the press release went out. Uh, no longer, he's retiring, is what it is after returning to the Elite Series for the second time. Uh, talk to Brad this morning. Brad will be in studio on Wednesday. 12 o'clock central time to talk about his decision to retire. I know I've been getting a ton of texts. I know he has to kind of an MIA, just kind of processing it all, but he will talk about that. Also, no show tomorrow. Immediately after this, I am jumping in the truck and driving to Memphis to tour uh, the the head facility for the St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. You know, The St. Jude uh, Bass Classic raised over a million dollars this past year up at Wabasha, Minnesota. So Myself, Fat Cat Newton, Brian Robinson, and uh, Adam Bartuzek are going to go get a first-hand look at uh, the St. Jude Children's Research Hospital tomorrow, uh, today and tomorrow uh, in Memphis. So, uh, really looking forward. I've heard everybody who has gone there and seen that says it is a life-changing experience. So, all right, let's get to it. Let's bring the man, the man in right now, and that is none other than Hank Parker. Hank, thank you for jumping on Bass Talk Live on a, uh, a I'm geeked up if you can't tell that like i said i've done a bunch of these but to have you uh on bass talk live is uh is an honor and thanks for jumping on well hey
1: i'm flattered man this is awesome glad to be here and good to see you matt
0: yeah and then i've already said once we get done talking about the exode stuff you're good to stick around and talk about some history and because i got some questions man i got you've been in a couple derbies in your day and you've done some stuff so you're good to chit chat about that for a couple
1: minutes oh yeah yeah i'm good to go
0: all right, now let's bring in uh, Jim Van Ryan. He, thank you for making this happen, Jim. You called me. I was actually out on Table Rock trying to Domeki rig spotted bass over 130 foot of water, 15 foot down. You know, I was about to tear my eyes out of my sockets going, this is just no. And you said, hey, we signed Hank Parker. And I was like, can we get Hank on the show? And you're like, that's a good question. Let me see it. You call back and you made my day because I wasn't catching any spotted bass to get <laughs> Hank on the show. So thanks for making this happen, Jim.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and thanks very much for having us, uh, having us, Matt. This is a this is a thrill for me as well um, to be a, to be working with Hank and uh, and to have you on the show and have us on the show. Um, I just really appreciate it.
0: All right, let's get right into it. Uh- I mentioned before, you have, you're have you very selective with your with your pro team, uh, and I don't even want to call it a pro staff. It's like your pro team, the guys that you work with, the guys that represent uh, your brand that's near and dear to your heart. Talk about uh, how the ability that that Hank Parker's, even on the market, was even an option for you, came in, and then kind of the steps that it involved to get him with Exo, and the press release just dropped less than 48 hours ago.
2: Yeah, so we have a uh, we have a friend in common, and um, we just got to talking. Everything starts with a conversation, and um, uh, this friend in common said, "Hey, you want to talk to Hank about maybe working together?" And I said, "Yeah, I'd love to have a conversation. Never never turn down a conversation. You never know what opportunities uh, come about." So we had a we had a great conversation over the phone, and um, you know, it became. We talked about uh, character ethics. Uh, morality, faith, all the things that matter to us at x and what we look for uh, in people. And you'll see that representative across our entire protein. Um, and so obviously, um, Hank exudes all of those fine qualities. Um, but to actually talk with him at depth or in depth about these things, um, I think we both came off that phone call thinking, you know what, there's got to be a path forward here for us to work together. Um, and, and, and so then another conversation uh, happened, emails back and forth. Um, and that's that's really what happened. It was just, a, it was a natural fit. And really, really, that's what you look for, or I look for personally. Um, the money is one thing, but how do we work together? How do we think the same? Um, That's what matters to to me and and matters to Hank, I believe. And um, yeah, that's where, that's how it came about.
0: Uh, Hank, I was looking at that press release and basically what Jim said, kind of talk about it from your side. I mean, you've been legendary and synonymous with a number of brands uh, and a number of baits in the hard bait market and the soft bait market over the course of your career. Kind of talk about this next, uh, this next step with X and kind of your thoughts after that first call with Jim.
1: It's kind of like going back in time. You know, people talk about the good old days when I started, you know, I worked for Tom Mann uh, mm-hmm. Tom owned Man's Bait Company, and uh, it is really cool when you can work with uh, a person that actually is a a personality that owns the company. And there's no layers. There's no uh, group of marketing people that you have to work through when you have an idea that's the betterment for the company uh, to be able to connect with the person that cares the most uh, is, is pretty awesome. And, and, you know, you can't stop progress if you want to call it that or times that change. And today most of the lure companies are owned um, by investment banking groups and they have their agenda and their agenda doesn't necessarily fit what I like, not, not fault them at all. I've had great relationships that I've worked really good, but, uh, it's so refreshing uh as i spoke with jim and talked about my philosophies in life and what is important to me and we're so compatible and uh the the whole idea is let's make the best product that we can make and let's let's tell the consumer how to how to benefit from it how to use it what to do and i think matt one of the biggest things and the challenge for me uh that i take very personal is Let's learn how to communicate, how to tell these high school fishermen and these junior high fishermen. Now, man, there are a lot of junior high fish. Let's tell them how to make that fishing lure, uh, to use it as a tool and to be more productive. And the, the better the bait is designed, the more opportunity that is for me to convey that story to these kids. And that's kind of my calling. I'm really into, let's grow the sport. It's an incredible sport. Uh, Our biggest challenge today in the outdoors is how do we overcome the cell phones and all the computerized world that we live in and tell kids about something that's tangible and real. Fishing is a wonderful sport. And uh, I I just, it's so important to me to be able to go to the high school kids and tell them uh, about how to select a fishing lure and how to use a fishing lure and how to benefit and uh, w- when i looked at the X zone lineup and the way that bait the profile the way the tail floats up and all the benefits i saw a magical tool and uh, then when i talked to jim the philosophy of the company everything is just a perfect mesh so i'm i'm very excited from that standpoint
0: jim anything else to add here i want to get into then hank's favorite lure which harold allen would be very proud of <laughs>
2: No, no, I I think both uh, what I said and Hank said just just summarizes it up, right? We're really looking to, we're really looking to, and it's always been our philosophy, but we want to add value and we want to grow the sport. Um, And that sometimes means going deeper. It it, it doesn't always mean just flash and huge marketing dollars. Uh, That's all, you know, marketing dollars are important, but uh, gosh, there's so much... Uh, there's so much beauty in this sport, just in the simplicity of understanding, understanding the water and understanding the bait and understanding the fish.
0: Hank, uh, w- what are your approach with this? And I would imagine over the, the course of the last 40 years, you've been approached by a lot of companies to promote, sell, develop a lot of things. Kind of what is your process when you look at it and say, hey, this is something that I can get behind this is something so like when you heard exo and you mentioned uh we were, had a little little we actually had a, a a five minute pre-show meeting people believe it or not but you said that you got your hands on it and you looked at it what are the some of the things that you look for that made you say hey there really is something here
1: the the first thing i looked at is the philosophy of the company who okay. is who is exo what 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 is that about uh and so I, I listened to Jim and talked about his kids and his involvement and where he wants the sport to, to go and, and their whole philosophy on life. Uh, I, have really only worked with, uh, two companies my entire career three. I, I worked with Bill Norman Lure company early, early on in the seventies. Uh, but I, I worked with Bill on the hard side and Tom Mann on the soft baits. And then, uh, I was with Mans forever and then I went to Berkeley. I've, I've been there for 40 years. And so I didn't know about other baits. I have been loyal to a fault. Uh, I, I really hadn't looked at a lot of other baits. I, I just, my job was to promote uh, the companies that I worked with. And so when our marketing philosophies, my brand and, and the Berkeley brand uh, parted, uh which was a friendly parting. i understand where they're going they've got 50 pros or 55 pros and they've got different philosophies in marketing from social media standpoint
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so i was kind of left as a free agent for the first time really in like 35 years
0: That's wild. And
1: so it's it a strange place to be at my age in the time of my career but what i thought was a big negative, turned out to be an incredible positive. And uh, I, I, I didn't even look at a lot of baits. And so I was talking with Davey Taff, who is a marketing friend of mine from Montgomery, Alabama. And um, he said, have you ever looked at X-Zone? And I said, no, I'm not even familiar with that brand. But I wasn't familiar with any brand. I, I've been loyal, like I say, to, to one brand only and so when i started looking at their baits, i said wow wow and he said the reason i bring them up is uh i think jim van ryan and his family if you listen to them uh their philosophy in life fits who you are and i think you guys are extremely compatible and let's just get jim on the phone and that's how it all came about and if i looked at the baits. uh I see opportunity I, I i see incredible design and and to work with brandon and uh there's a little kid there that's also with the on named cooper gallant yeah and you might know his name now but you will know his name someday. oh
0: we I, I we all know Coop coops okay to oh, yeah. be
1: a world champion he, go ahead and write that down hank parker says cooper gallant is going to be a world champion bass fisherman but that kid loves life he loves fishing and his smile is contagious. So uh, when Jim told he had Cooper on board, I thought, man, I cannot wait to work with Cooper because if you could bottle what Cooper has, that's what I want to give to all these high school kids. I want you to have what Cooper's got. Man, this kid is loving what he does. And uh, it's what our sport's all about. People over sensationalize by turning double back flips when they catch a fish and all this social media stuff that Drives me nuts. Uh, that's not what fishing's all about. Fishing is a is an experience that's deeply seated in my heart. It's so important, but let's don't misrepresent it by getting it out of Kelter and mm-hmm. over sensationalized when we catch fish. Cooper is just that perfect guy. <laughs> he gets so excited, and it comes through, you know, in that big beautiful smile and. And uh, so I I just think it's awesome. And uh, Brandon Pollock, I mean, what a champion, what a class person he is. And for me to be a part of uh, a team with with Brandon is is flattering. And so I'm just excited about the whole opportunity.
0: I think if you ask nicely, you might get to go with Cooper on one of those like 30-day adventures where he's like, hey, guys, Cooper here. I've been fishing for lake trout 97 straight days. Now we're going to catch some pike and then we're going (laughs) to ice fish for some grayling. If you watch his videos, dude, he's got he does all these exotic just cool trips and yeah, you're right. And and I I put him and Polinick in the same in the same package of people who really get it younger than they're supposed to get it.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I'll tell you a quick Cooper story. I invited him. I always wanted to go to Duck Island, which is in the middle of Lake Ontario. And uh, (laughs) sometimes, you know, you gotta fight five and six foot waves to get out there. But when you get there, it's uh, some calm water inside of the island. It's kind of a U-shaped, horseshoe-shaped island. And uh, so I called Cooper and asked if he'd like to be on my show. And I don't even know where he was. He was like in Buffalo or somewhere, and maybe somewhere in in Canada, Toronto. I don't even know where he was. But uh, we were at Clayton, New York. So uh, he said, yeah, man, yeah, I'd love to be on your show. When? I said, tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and so the next morning I woke up, I, I gave him the address where I was at, GPS address, and he put it in his phone. Next morning when I woke up, he's sitting in the parking lot. <laughs> he drove all night long, and uh, he was there, and we had a ball. And that little rascal, he had to lay down in the boat and grab those fish. So, I, of course, I had to copy him, but we, we made a show and I had so much fun. It, it was really a delight. And it was the first time I met him, so I'm, I'm a yeah. big Cooper fan.
0: That, uh, that duck island area, I, mean, I did the math on how many days it actually gets pressure between the season – and wind and when you're it's like if everything goes right you might get 20 days a year that you can get out to duck like think about that out of 365 days there might be 20 days a year and then out of that to have uh i guess the intestinal fortitude to go out there the desire and to be there it's a it's a magical magical place hank
1: hey you know i saw that on a map in 1986 and I said, I'm going to go out there and fish that island. And so every single time I would go to the St. Lawrence, I would want to go to Duck Island. I never made it. I, from 1986, and I think Cooper and I went out there uh, about uh, four years ago, three years ago. So I finally made it. But it took me that long, from from 86 until 2019.
0: <laughs> Did it live up live up to the billing? What's that now? Did it live up to the billing?
1: Oh my goodness, yes! (laughs) Oh my goodness, it was unbelievable. All
0: right, uh, again someday, (laughs) Jim. You have uh, you got quite the uh, quite the pro team now.
2: Yeah, no, thank you. We're very blessed.
0: Do you have you have a passport? I assume, Hank, because you're probably going to be spending a little bit more time up in uh, up at our friendly neighbors to the north now. (laughs)
1: I'm, I'm envious of Jim. We talked about where I live and I live in a great part of fishing. My favorite fishery in the entire world, bar none, is the St. Lawrence Seaway, Lake Ontario. I absolutely love it. So I go every year and
2: uh, now they have,
1: I almost hesitate to tell it on, on, on the internet because now everybody's going to know it, but they have a pre-spawn season uh, that starts in uh, like March and goes through about the eighth, 9th, tenth of May, and uh, I've been doing that. Now this is the this will be the third year I'm booked to go again this coming year, so I'm excited.
0: <laughs> nice. Uh, you did you did mention uh, the deception worm as one that you like, which I thought was interesting because I mean it takes a true old school guy to know like all the all the old school. You're old school guy, Hank. <laughs> but you guys are all about your worms. I spent a lot of time with Harold Allen. He's all about the, the worm, obviously uh, the general uh, Larry Nixon, all about the worms. And so I thought it was funny that you were like, yeah, I'm pumped for this worm. We'll show it uh, We'll show it right now. I'll pull it up on the screen. Walk me through what makes a good worm, Hank.
1: The profile of a worm is really, really, really in, in important. Color. That is the one thing that uh, I think Jim and his family benefit from is living in that crystal clear water, and they get these colors so crisp and clear and transparent. But the shape of that worm, it, the profile is not too fat, not too skinny. It fits the hook good, but the tail on that dude floats. Okay. And I watch that thing in the water. That worm, that tail will rise up. You, you put. I put a little... Uh, Exxon tungsten weight on the, on the front of it. And, uh, the tail rises up. I shot a commercial last Thursday and, uh, I had all these Exxon baits laid out and they're, they're all great. But I, I was catching so many fish on the deception worm. I hated to put it down to pick up anything else. It seemed like every time I uh, put it in the water, I'd catch a fish and I used it in, in on the drop shot as well. Uh, and, and caught them on the drop shot. The lake that I was fishing, Santa Cooper, has a lot of grass and uh, uh, the area I was in uh, had so much grass on the bottom, I finally started drop shotting it. It didn't matter how I fished it, I caught fish on it. And so I was pretty impressed, but when I opened it up, I thought the profile of that worm is, is what I would design. And I would make that worm where it would float. Well, I looked and the tail floats on that worm. Mm-hmm and uh, it's just a magical fish catcher, and that's that's pretty exciting. And the colors, man, he had an, they have an array of colors that uh, you just can't find anywhere, and the clarity and the transparency, and that is the one thing in a plastic worm that a lot of people overlook, the value of having something that's transparent, and, um, boy, they got the colors. They have got the colors.
0: Jim, what is it that allows you to have, would it be called a, a clean pour is that a fair is that a fair way to describe it
2: yeah it's really uh matt it's really it's about the ingredients um so the ingredients have to allow you to keep those colors crisp and the only way to really do that is to add no fillers um so a lot of baits on the market and and i get it why people do it getting the cost of production down Um, they'll put in some extra fillers into a bait just to, just to fill it. It doesn't even have to necessarily be weight. But um, the one thing we do is, you know, kind of our line is, hey, no cheap fillers, right? You've heard that uh, about us. And and we really believe in that. And only through that can you get really clear, crisp colors.
0: So what would, like, a filler be? I'm not into ba- – like, what would be so- – I mean, yeah, I'm just
2: – Yeah, be- so – so that could be uh, that could be sand. That could be um, okay.
0: Something that's really cheap that adds bulk right. and density to the bait without the expensive the plastic part that obviously costs more.
2: Right. Uh, salt is a salt is a big thing. You now every bait needs to have a little bit of salt in it for sure. Some of them, like a like a tube or a stick, have to have a lot of salt in it. But it, but then you start looking. Okay, what is the granular size of that salt, and how much of an impact does it make, and so forth.
0: And then. I thought it was also, Hank, we'll get a little fishing in here, the clarity of it. What makes a clear a clear bait or bait that has some translucent properties more effective, in your opinion?
1: You know, as time has advanced, there's more and more and more pressure on the lakes. Uh, all of our lakes, catch and release. John Powell, the great John Powell, said 100 years ago uh, when Ray Scott started promoting catch and release, he said that it's going to be great for our sport. Uh, but it's going to make these fish very difficult to catch because we're going to give them a college education by the time they weigh five pounds. They've been caught and released so many times. So much pressure on our lakes. Subtlety and uh, being able to um, em- emulate uh, live action is is critical. And to have a, a plastic worm that's extremely transparent, it's more... Uh, Camouflage that's more subtle it 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 allows you to uh i think to be uh more effective in clear water but also in even in water that i fish a lot which uh uh jim would call muddy water if you compare it to lake ontario Uh, but even in what we call off colored or stained water transparent baits will catch fish that are pretty heavily molested that are hard to trick. And that's Mm -hmm. what I do. I fish on lakes that just get hammered with fishing pressure. And they're small lakes, you know, in comparison to, to Lake Ontario, you know, 25,000 surface acres or less and uh heart was forty five thousand surface acres but nevertheless most of the lakes that i fish they get a lot of fishing pressure yep. and so if you will go to a very transparent worm a clear worm something that just is subtle approach you're a lot more effective uh than you are with a darker color deeper worm that is not transparent so it's really important to me to get those clear crisp colors for the purpose of being subtle and catching those fish that get a lot of fishing pressure
0: all right is this a good example of this jim this would be uh this i think electric shad color in that but those is that the air pocket here i'll see if i can circle it are those the little air pockets that you're seeing down at the bottom that's showing that that tail is going to float and then you can see how transparent that worm actually is yeah so that one has a,
2: a pretty light light layer on the bottom um those those two little pockets at the bottom have nothing really to do with its ability to float. That's that's the overall formulation of the bait itself. Okay. What we wanted to do there was just, and again, it may only come into play 5% of the time, but we wanted when that worm was dropping to just give it a little bit of a different, uh, different vibration or of, you know, a little bit of a different sonic sound. To it, so that's all that they are. They're just water disruptors and okay, uh,
0: yeah. All right. Anything else uh, you guys want to get in on the on the X-Zone front? Because I've, uh, you're welcome to stick around for the rest of the show. Hey, I, I don't one, know. Thing,
1: yep. one thing I'd like to ask Jim: How did you, if you look at your baits? And I laid them all out on the deck of my boat in the sunshine, and I put them in the clear water. It almost looks as if they are hand poured, <clears throat> hand poured and laminated. It it has a laminated look, whereas you have color at the top and then clarity and then color again. And, and you know, the old days we would hand pour a worm, we'd pour one color, then we'd pour a clear color, and then we'd pour another to get that same look that you have in an injected bait. I've not seen that in anybody else's bait. I don't know if it's out there or not, but it almost looks like you have a laminated injected bait. How in the world did you do that?
2: Yeah, so when we bought the company back in, let's say, 2015 or so, it was strictly a hand-pour. It was a local bait that had gained some fame in the Northeast and the Midwest and so forth for its drop-shot baits. It was one of the first, the Slammer was one of the first drop-shot baits uh, to be created, but it was strictly a hand-pour company. Um, and uh, so we, you know, we hand-poured for the first first few months, and and I thought, ah, you know what, we can... Um, this is great, but it's very tough to scale this production. Um, so then we set out and we work with a machine manufacturer on making, uh, to get the, so first of all, you have the formula, then you have the mechanical aspect of it to get it. it um, and we're not the only ones. I mean, other people can, can do this as well, but we wanted to somehow find a way, okay, how can we take our hand port baits, but produce them in higher volume without sacrificing how that bait looks and how it performs. Um, so it took a while, but uh, yeah, we were, uh, that, that in a nutshell is, is how it happened.
1: It's pretty amazing to me that you got that laminated look and it, that
2: is the subtlety that I think will catch
1: fish. I think that's gonna help catch fish uh, knowingly, absolutely for sure in Clearwater, but it also in our lakes where I fish a lot in South Carolina, North Carolina, Hartwell, Murray, get a lot of fishing pressure, and uh, that laminated look is going to be effective in helping me catch fish, no doubt about it.
2: Yeah, no, and that and that's that's good to hear. And I think the um, I think the uh, you know there's there's more uh, great bitty makers out on the market making laminated baits as well. But, uh, the one thing, you know, we talked about how adding no fillers to the bait gives you the ability to have fresh colors, but the, the adding no fillers to the bait also adds predictability. And by that, I mean, uh, let's say you want to make a bait that is going to perform the same every time, the less complex you make the bait formula and the more uh you know kind of virgin resins that you use to make a bait the more predictable that bait becomes in terms of its output which gives you consistency on a presentation level so you don't want to have cheap bait and let's say you're fishing a craw and it presents one way one time and then all of a sudden you take another one out of the pack and it fishes in in another way right you need that to be predictable um again you know, you're, you're talking about the, you know, the last 5% of fishing detail, but in a world where it's so competitive and those fish are under so much pressure, that last 5% of detail makes the difference.
1: I agree. <laughs> All right, we're going to take our
0: first break of the show. When we come back, we're going to talk uh, – Bassmaster classics video games tv shows i just i have some questions that i've always wanted to know and i got an opportunity now you good for another segment hank yes sir all right jim you're dependent i know you're the the brains behind the operation so if you got stuff you got to do feel free to stick around for the whole show
2: well what i want to do actually is i want to come off the show and now i just want to watch it as a fan (laughs) <laughs> all right
0: that sounds good thanks for jumping on thanks for setting this up jim uh greatly appreciate it it is a btl on a monday with the one and only hank parker and we will be back
2: thank you right jim after this thank you hank. thanks jim right. the new puma sts has been redesigned from the ground up with the angler design function and performance in mind nothing on this new offering was compromised and the only thing carried over from the previous version is the name. Based on the soft touch series hull that started with the flagship Jaguar, this new model is nimble and performs incredibly well at all speeds with either a 250 or 300 horsepower engine. Featuring a new 96-inch wide-body footprint, this hull measures out at 20 foot 7 inches in length. Industry-leading design coupled with tournament-winning performance, the Puma STS from Basscat. Feel the
3: rush.
1: If you're a construction worker soccer dad soccer mom you want to be outdoors you've seen the reaper this right here is the zip up full reaper but it's windproof
0: folks windproof and it actually has the mass built in it's behind me i mean if you can
3: look good feel good and stay warm you better check it out
1: it's the zip up reaper that's right windproof
3: elite series pro daryl gleason here my pro guide batteries keep me going on those long tournament days and long practice days always plenty of juice never fail the best part about ProGuide Batteries, it's the people behind the company. They have over 40 years experience in the battery business, keeping all of us fishermen out on the water longer, catching more fish. Check them out at ProGuideBatteries.com.
0: What's up, Bass Talk Live fans? Brandon Polnick here. And ever since I won a couple Bassmaster Elite Series events on X-Zone Lures, I've been getting a bunch of questions of what makes them so special and different And really the truth is it's in the details, the little details, things like no cheap fillers in their plastic that gives you more lifelike action, more realistic and vibrant colors. But don't just take my word for it. Go to www.excellentlures.com and check them out for yourself. All right, welcome back to BTL on a Monday talking with Hank Parker. And one of the things that's really struck me, uh, Hank, as I got ready for this show, and obviously uh, everyone knows who Hank, Hank Parker is, but right now in the industry, with everything that we have going on, I just did an interview with uh, Jacob Wheeler last week, and he was talking about the importance of Uh, basically creating a brand for yourself, that it's not just on the water, that that is an element of it. And it's all about creating a brand. You're seeing all these guys, you know, we talked about Cooper and, uh, and Brandon, the YouTube channels, the baits, it's all part of it. Uh, Looking back over the course of your career, you were like one of the OGs, one of the guys who understood. I mean, I don't think many people realize you tournament fish for 20 years. You fished 104 bass events. You talk about that. You go look at like Rick clone, who's still fishing. He's up over 400 events. Uh, Gary Klein's still going strong. Uh, Larry Nixon made a return to the elite series this past year. But what was it that early on you had the foresight to create Hank Parker outdoors and the brand and not just rely on Hank Parker tournament fishermen?
1: You know, Matt, when we started, uh, I was second generation, you know, Blake Honeycutt, uh, 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 Roland, uh, Billy Westmoreland, Bobby Murray, uh, all of those guys were the pioneers. They were the original guys, uh, Bill dance. Uh, they, they were, they were there at Beaver Lake and started and went, you know, 68. And, uh, I came in, uh, uh, you know, the, the first classic was like 1971. Mm-hmm. So when I came on the scene, it was, uh, the seventh classic, uh, so I was kind of second-generation guy and dance kind of paved the way uh, for a lot of, uh, of people to make a living in the fish and tackle industry by aligning yourself with some industry, uh, whether it's rods, reels, lures, uh, whatever, and uh, being able to create a consumer demand uh, and build a reputation that you got an influence in the marketplace. Well. All of that uh, came to life and you try to generate as much publicity as you can uh, through, uh, through media. You know, I would want to be on Bassmaster Magazine cover. Or I'd want to be in an article in Sports Field or Field and Stream, Outdoor Life, uh, whatever the major publications were. Well, I've reached a point in my life where, you know, I'm riding, I need to be driving. And so I started my television show. I did that in 1984. Uh, And uh, I I looked at all the opportunities that were out there. How can we expand the sport? How can we get some non-indemnate sponsors? We got hooked up with Chevrolet and, and, uh, then that hot b uh video game opportunity out of san francisco became available you know that was that's uh and the get real get radical the little vibrating fish game yeah. that, uh, that that was the coolest deal going you know and and so they were just uh you know we were kind of in a box and stuck with a dim net fish and tackle opportunities so how do you get out of that box and how do you expand and I had uh, the Powell Group in Montgomery, Alabama that were aggressive, and uh, Doyle Powell, he looked at a lot of, uh, of opportunities outside of the fishing tackle world, and, and we got hooked up with uh, uh, Kelly Tires and uh, AC Delco Batteries and uh, just a lot of things that uh, were outside of the normal fishing box, so we just started putting it together and, and worked hard to make it happen.
0: So you were one of the first Anglers to have anything out, a non-endemic.
1: I, the, I would say in probably I had way more than anybody else. So, yeah, we started looking for opportunities. And, you know, that's one way uh, to to expand and get the notoriety of the sport uh, outside of the, the box, so to
0: speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what Was it difficult to start a television show? Because back then I would imagine production was... A chore. I mean, it. It was. It's not just show up to the lake with one camera. You guys probably had a lot to do. I mean, you were right in between Bassmaster Classic wins in the premier career in that 1985 when you started. Uh, when you started Hank Parker Outdoors, was there any part of you that was like, man, you know, I need to focus on my tournament fishing and not this TV thing, or was it just a natural kind of mesh for you that just made sense at the time? Because that that's like incredible foresight. <laughs>
1: It, it was something that I knew I needed to do. And then once I did it, I thought, this is the biggest mistake I've ever made. I really? It. Oh, really? It's a giant investment. People don't even realize. You know, we started out on NBC, and we 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 would uh, uh, we had all these requirements. You know, we had to have an Ikigami 79 camera, which cost $85,000 without a lens. There were no wireless mics so you had to hardwire and you had all these umbilical cords you ran the wires up your pants legs and you had to have a sound mixer in the boat so i had a <laughs> cameraman a producer a mixer all sitting in the back of my boat and i'm up there trying to fish and i'm really worried about what's going to happen at gunnersville next week in the bass tournament and I'm out here on uh, Old Hickory in Tennessee trying to make a television show, and my mind is in Gunnersville. What in the world am I doing? You know, I, I had a lot of uh, questions, and, uh, you know, I knew from a career standpoint I needed to do that. I needed to make a living. And uh, so it was a very mixed emotion uh, that, that I went through.
0: Who would you say, so this is just, I'm 39 years old, so I grew up with this stuff. These are the ones that I put you with. Like, okay, obviously Orlando, Orlando, Bill, Jimmy, Roland, and Hank. That was to me, uh, and you can throw uh, the fishing hole with Jerry McInnes in there, but that one is like the longest shredded 39, but those were like the five. Was there like, am I leaving any out on that?
1: Well, you know, Ron Shear. Ron Shear had uh, the Great American Outdoor Show and okay. I was at a Ranger Boat uh, a dealer conference and Ron said, out of everybody in the world that all to have a television show, you should have a television show. He said, I'm making a great living. And he said, with your personality and your attitude, uh, you should have a television show. And that's really got the wheels turning in my mind. But nobody had as much influence on me in television as dance. Bill Dance, uh, he's the pioneer. He's the godfather. He's the guy that uh, really put it together and married the industry and uh, and the viewer together. So dance is the guy that influenced me the most.
0: Okay, here's my question, though. Did you guys like work together on like, hey, here's what's working on my show or this show? Or are you watching... Bills going, "Dang, I should have thought of that." Or watching Jimmy's going, "Man, I wish I'd had that." Like was there a rivalry between the TV shows because that was it. There was no YouTube, there was no internet. Like it was you got that and you got Bob Cobb and the Bassmasters on uh a TNN. I mean, you guys were the show in town back then. What was the rivalry like between you?
1: Oh, it was a lot of competition. Uh nobody shared any information. Everybody's playing their cards real close to the vest, so nobody did it, but I had a different show. My show was completely different. Everybody that was a tournament angler, they wanted to come out and and get real specific on techniques, methods, how to do this, how to do that. And to me, some of that was taking some of the fun out of it. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to separate myself as a television host From a tournament fisherman i wanted to benefit from the knowledge that you get of being a tournament fisherman but i wanted to just say hey guys don't put yourself under so much pressure to go out there and catch all these fish uh enjoy the sport the sport is awesome being out here on the water is incredible include your family man it's don't try to make 2000 casts an hour like you're in a bass tournament calm down enjoy it relax you're not under pressure you don't have to go to the weigh-in at the end of the day let it be fun and that's my philosophy still today man i just i did not make my future a professional show. I made my show about a guy getting up and going fishing because he loved it. He loved the experience. He included his family and friends, and you did it in a way that you weren't so competitive.
0: The other thing that I find interesting uh, is you, you basically retired from tournament fishing in the mid nineties. You're on top of your game. You're a half decade. You're five years removed from your, your second bassmaster classic title which is something that only i mean still to this day only like five six guys have, have won multiple classic titles it would be almost unheard of now for a guy who's won two it is prime to just say hey you know that was fun for two decades but i'm moving on to a different chapter was that difficult for you to do in 95 when you when you hung it up
1: most difficult thing in the world and i actually retired in 89 when i won the bassmaster classic 1989 okay. I I actually retired, and Ray Scott grabbed me by the head, and I love Ray Scott. Ray grabbed me by the head, and he said, please don't do that on this stage right now. I want to talk to you. But I wanted to, in Richmond, Virginia, the last day when the Classic was over, I wanted to announce, hey, I'm done. This is it. I'm through. And Ray Ray talked me out of that, and I fished four tournaments in 1990. And after that, I was done until they came back with those Super Bass tournaments uh, a few years later. But uh, uh, I, not Super Bass, but... Superstars. Uh, in Illinois
0: that? there. And superstars on the River yeah, of superstars.
1: superstars yeah. That's right. Yeah, I, I was retired until I came back and I fished those three. But uh, I really retired at 36 years old. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life.
0: You were 36? 36. Holy cow, I didn't realize you were that young.
1: Yeah, I I retired at 36 years old, and uh, I won my first Classic when I was 26, won my second Classic when I was 36, and I retired.
0: So anyway, you said it was the hardest thing you ever did. Did you regret it? How long did it take to get perspective? Never
1: regretted it. I did it for the right reasons. Uh, I had three boys at home that needed a daddy, they wanted to race go-karts, they wanted to go deer hunting, they wanted to go fishing with their dad, and my life was a whirlwind, and my priorities were out of balance, and uh, I was doing a television show, I had 14 different sponsors, I had engagements, I was fishing the, the BASS circuit, I was spread thin, and I didn't have time for my boys, and I promised myself, And my oldest son, Hank Parker Jr., if I ever got myself in a position that I felt like I could retire, I would retire. And when I won that second Classic, I knew that that would give me the um, financial ability to retire. And I I jumped on it for that reason. And I've never regretted that. But Mm -hmm. going back, um, Ken Cook won the Classic the next year up in in, uh, Baltimore and I I was there and it was, it was so painful. Uh, uh, that was in '91. I went. I fished in the 1990 yeah. classic. Clun won on uh, on the, the James River again for the third time. Guido won it first time. I won it, and then Clun won it. But '91 uh, uh, was the hardest. To, oh man! I sat in the the audience at that classic, and I just biting my fingers off. And uh, it, that was a hard deal. And it, it was for the for ten years every year i have to go to the classic because i was involved in the industry they had the outdoor show and i had to be there and 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 meet and greet fans and do the things that you have to do but i was miserable man I, i was miserable i was a fish out of water i wanted to be there and of course i was in the prime of my fishing life at that time but yet i did what i needed to do and now i don't regret that one second my boys call me all the time uh, Hank Jr. and his two boys were here this weekend. Uh, he's got a, uh, his oldest son's named Boone, and Boone is, he's got the bug as bad as I had it. And the little rascal can catch fish. And I say little rascal, he's taller than I am. He's like 6'4 at <laughs> 17 years old. But he's quite the fisherman, and he loves it. He calls me all the time Papa, what do you think if I drop shot at this bait? Papa, what do you think about this? Papa, what do you think about <laughs> those new glide baits? Papa, bam, bam, bam you know, he's up really into it. And so I made a great investment in my boys when I retired.
0: Uh, you mentioned that, that 89 classic. Now I'm right. That's the classic that is all that, that is known not only for your second classic, but for that's the Jim Bitter classic, right?
1: Well, you know, I, uh, I did a seminar with Jim a year or two after that. And, uh, and he didn't laugh when I told the story, I said, you know, People bragged on me for catching the biggest string of the uh, of the tournament that last day and coming from so far behind and winning. But that wasn't the best thing I did that day. That wasn't the smartest thing I did. I said the smartest thing I did that day is I got up about 3.30 in the morning, went to the boatyard and put graphite oil on Jim Bitter's measure. <laughs>
0: oh, gosh, that's cold-hearted, Hank. So for those, <laughs> yeah, if if, that was
1: funny, if you've
0: never seen it, basically, you know, Tim Tucker is the A1 plus iconic number one guy to ever cover tournament fishing. Died tragically in an automobile accident, I I believe roughly 2006, 2007, before I got a chance to meet him. But he is an icon in this industry. Uh, and, And I'm sure you had many moments with with Tim behind stage. Uh, I've heard stories about it. You know, he'd always sit by the tree and say, come over here and talk to me. And he talked, but uh, basically he's in the boat. Jim bitter catches this fish. He wants to take a picture. He measures it, but he measures it right next to the gunnel. The things like a grease pig slips out of his hand, bounces off the console and into the water. And, uh, and, and you end up winning that tournament by two ounces, which basically oh. changed the, the course of of fishing history because who knows what we would have had from, Hank Parker over the next the next thirty years. Had that not, I mean, you could go back and say you could say Gary Klein getting stuck in the lock, and Tommy Biffle uh, has had a couple of those moments and things like that. But uh, it, to me, that's one of the most iconic classics uh, in the history of the Bassmaster Classic.
1: You know, I like what Tommy Martin said when they did that loudmouth bass show. Tim Tucker and and Tommy were on the on the uh, on the set and. Uh, uh, Tim said, "Now, is this the tournament that Hank Parker won, or the classic that Jim Bitter lost?" And Tommy said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! whoa. It, it, it is all a part of the sport. We've mm-hmm. had them jump out of the live well. We've had them drop back over the boat. And in that particular tournament, I had a two and a half pound bass pinned to a stick the second day of the tournament, and I actually put my hands on the fish, and he got off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so." you know it's all a part of getting that fish in the bag and putting it on the scales so it's all a part of it and whether you get your hands on the fish or whether you drop him back in the boat or whether he hits on the console and bounces that whatever you gotta you gotta bring them to the the scales for them to count And there's a million ways to lose a fish so that was probably the most painful way But I I love Jim better. What an awesome competitor he is and and what he was when I competed against him. And Jim's still doing well today. But you don't measure your fish on top of your tackle box.
0: You don't do that. Fair point,
1: Hank. It's too risky. (laughs)
0: That's a fair point. And then I think the other thing that's interesting is I think second place in your your, uh, first classic on Texoma was Basil Bacon, who was basically – the inventor of the bacon rind, which is one of the first creature baits that ever came out uh, with Gambler, and he's a, a legendary icon. But it's still crazy to me how many of those guys that were back then, and I, I mentioned them, uh, you know, Larry Dixon, Rick Clun, Gary Klein, like, dude, those guys are still running the roads, fishing 12 tournaments a year on the water, 100 plus days a year. Is that impressive to you? to to turn on bass live and seeing rick clunn cranking a square bill down riprap at at (laughs) 73
1: yeah he loves it he absolutely loves it and uh i think that's fantastic nixon nixon's one of the greatest fishermen that ever lived nixon cost me uh three angler of the years i finished second to larry for angler of the year three different times uh uh i admire all of them and gary Klein, i was with gary last year and he and i fished, and uh he's as excited and as giddy about getting up and going fishing in a tournament uh, and competing <laughs> as he was when he was 19 years old i mean uh, all these guys it, it is amazing how much uh they still love it and it's still a big part of their life and they're still competitive they're they're yeah. uh nixon Klon uh Gary, all these guys are extremely competitive at seventy plus years old.
0: <laughs> it is uh one more thing I wanted to that I wanted to run past you and then I'll let you go. Like I said I greatly appreciate the time i I would talk to you for six hours. Uh, the spinner bait. So you're synonymous with the spinner bait, the Hank Parker spinner bait. Talk about the the early days of that and how that bait it came about because it was kind of you. Uh, you, Ken Cook, and Jimmy had like a little bit of a spinnerbait war
1: going on, didn't you? You know, we talk about a fishing lure being a tool. A fishing lure is a tool to do a job. And uh, a spinnerbait is kind of like an adjustable wrench. You can do a lot of things with it. You can fish a lot of different parts of the water column. You can fish it almost on the surface uh, by waking it, or you can fish it 20 feet deep by slow rolling it and crawling it and you can do everything kind of in between. So you can fish it deep, shallow, uh, in between, and that's where the fish are at all times. you know, they're even deep water, shallow water in between. And so that, that bait lets you fish the water column. But when D. Thomas came along and came up with the flipping technique, and I learned so much from Dave Gleeby um, when he came oh, wow. from the West Coast, I learned so much about impulse fishing. You know, the whole thing with that flipping technique is you put that bait where normally a bait doesn't go, and you drop it right on his nose and he reacts to that bait out of impulse. Well I started thinking about the way I fish a spinnerbait. And how can I get fish to reach to to strike a spinnerbait out of impulse. And so I started hand building my little baits and getting them, spacing the blades where I got maximum vibration. I really worked hard on little things that made a big difference spacing that blade, getting the right blades, the right thickness of the blades, the right wire diameter to get the vibration, the right weight of the head. Everything matters and its little subtleties. And so I started building that classic spinnerbait that, um, by the way, we still we've got it on the market yep. now. To Hank Parker Bait Shop and, and, and buy them. So we just brought them back on the market a month ago. Oh, really? Uh, I
0: didn't know that. That wasn't planned, folks. That was just me yeah, asking yeah. about
1: spinnerbaits. Yeah, we brought them back on the market. and go to, to HP Baits and, uh, and you, you can get them direct from myself. But I started putting those things back together because of the demand was, people were driving me crazy. But the profile of that bait, the distance between the wire and the tie, gives that thing a small silhouette. And I used a three-quarter ounce and I would run that thing up there by a stump or a brush pile and with that heavy head, I can drop it right there and I get those baits, get those fish to react to that bait out of impulse, much like D. Thomas with his flipping stick or Dave Glee, okay. And that was the whole method of madness that made that bait come alive. And uh, nobody has duplicated. That's been 30 years ago and nobody has built a bait, in my opinion, that uh, looks or acts in the water. There's some that look pretty close, mm-hmm. but none mm-hmm. of them that perform in the water like that bait. So that's it right it there, right, Hank? That's it.
0: Okay. So, what's what, why the twist instead of the safety pin? Like the instead when of the R bend? Do,
1: when you use a light wire, 29,000ths, the R bend will not work. The wire's too flimsy. The arm will rise up when you start to fish it and it'll break real easy. So, you got to do the twist when you use that little light wire. And so uh, a lot of people ask that question, but you have to do that. And the only thing we've done different to that bait that you just saw that we have on the market now is where the, the Sampo swivel is on the end. We've taken heat shrink and, and put a little heat shrink on it to keep it from when that fish jumps throwing that blade off.
0: Okay, yeah, I can see that there. That's a, that's a neat little trick.
1: Yeah, it, it works too. That's a good thing.
0: Uh, it sounds like you're, you know, from our conversation with Jim earlier and the the signing with Exo. It sounds like you are just as passionate about this sport and industry as you were back in 1975. Is that a fair assessment?
1: It is. It is. My, my whole life, Matt, it, the most important thing to me, people say, when you die, do you want to be remembered as this or that? I, I want to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. That, that's the most important thing in my life. I, I want to be faithful to my Lord and my Savior, but uh, I also I really want to give back to this sport. And we've got a challenge. I talked about my grandson. Uh, I, I've got a lot of grandchildren but my whole heart is let's introduce kids to the outdoors. Get them off of these cell phones. They're so addicted to it. And I am myself, I'm not finding fault, but we've got to we've got to get our kids outside. And, and the biggest fear that I have is these kids that are on these high school fishing teams, when they get out of high school, they'll quit because they never really learned the basics and built on a solid foundation. Uh, You you got to learn how to catch fish, and you've got to have realistic expectations, and you got to grow. You got to build a foundation. So, my my call in the fishing world today, I feel like, is to be an ambassador, to teach, and train, and and learn, and and express the value of the sport. Don't oversensationalize it. Don't build it up as something it's not. But it's a fantastic sport. Competitive fishing is wonderful, but just fishing of a whole is such a great sport. It's wholesome, it's healthy, and I wanna teach people how to fish. And I wanna I wanna teach people how to build a firm foundation to grow on. And so that's kind of and I'm excited about it. I get giddy when I get to go fishing. Matter of fact, I'm going fishing just a little bit. I'm excited about it. Where are you going? I'm going to go down to uh, Lake Monticello, which is kind of down toward Lake Murray, but it's a, it's a nuclear power plant there. Oh. It's kind of a warm water lake, so Ooh. I'm headed to Monticello.
0: What are you going to be throwing?
1: I'm, I've got some uh, new ARC crankbaits that I want to try out, so I'm going to be fishing with some ARC crankbaits.
0: All right. Uh, I do want to point out, uh, I didn't know if this was going to fit into the show, but you talk about uh, the youth getting involved, and it's nice to hear – to hear what you're saying about it, but I mean, this is something you've been uh, preaching for 25 years, and uh, I got my start. Many of the BTL listeners know through the Bassmaster Casting Kids when Helen Severe uh, owned Bass, and it was part of the uh, Wrangler was a, a a big supporter of that. And I mean, I started at the local, but uh, I, I I got some pictures. I actually put it up, and my dad called. Uh, my dad's in his mid 70s. Watched a show, and he's like, "Hey." Uh, you want some of these pictures for the show? And I was like, ah, nah, I don't need to, to show that no one cares And he's like, no, it might be kind of cool But once you talked about that and getting the kids 25 years ago There it is right there That's me at the Bassmaster classic with my illinois bass federation from casting and kids And i've got just a ton of these photos, uh, that that you were showing of being you there uh, and that made a big impact because uh because, dude, you're the man, man. You had two classics, and those were one of those classics that you were at that you weren't fishing in, that you were like, man, I well, that's that time. You're like, man, I wish I was fishing. had a big impact on me, uh, and I'm still in the industry. Obviously, there's a number of other people and factors, but that was a big part of it. So it's cool to see uh, that that was still important to you back then. I just remember how kind and uh, individual and one-on-one attention you gave me as a 13-year-old who was excited to meet Hank Parker.
1: You, you don't know what that meant to me. That meant more to me than it did to you and to see you in this industry doing what you do today and knowing that I had the opportunity to put my hand on your shoulder when you were 13 years old and give you just a teeny bit of encouragement to keep going. Man, that means more to me than you will ever know. And that's what we all need to do. That's what an ambassador means to the sport. And now look how you're passing it on. And that was something that uh, Tom Bedell at Berkeley did 25, 30, 40 years ago. Pass it on, man. Don't keep it to yourself, share it. Take a kid fishing, Uh, encourage a kid, give him a plastic worm or a spinner bait. Uh, help grow this sport. That is our future. And so uh, for me to have the opportunity to have put my hand on your shoulder and offer you some encouragement, how encouraging that is to me today. And I think that is so awesome. I appreciate that picture.
0: I need to, I need to cut that out and tape it on the new boat. Cause in the opens, I'm, I'm afraid Hank over the last couple of years, any youngster that I've drawn in the opens, the only thing I've passed on to them is some new language and a new level of anxiety. So I need to, <laughs> need to keep everything in perspective is that, but <laughs> well, anything let me, else,
1: let me, you you what, let me tell you what I tell my grandson. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> yeah. Calm down.
0: <laughs> it's, uh, it's a it's a, challenge sometimes, but I agree. Anything <laughs> else you want to get in here, Hank, before I let you go? Greatly appreciate the hour of your time. Uh, and I know you're headed to the lake, and, and uh, 50 years later, you're still itching to get there.
1: Matt, it is awesome to be on your show, and I sure do appreciate it. And I'm, I'm sure excited about our future, and uh, we just keep passing on, getting those young kids off the cell phone and on the water.
0: There it is. All right. The newest member of the X-Zone team, the one and only Hank Parker. Thanks for sharing some memories. Hank, have a good one.
1: Thank you, my buddy. See ya.
0: See ya. All right. That was Hank Parker. We're going to take our final break of the show. When we come back, like I said, I'll talk about uh, what we have going on uh, with Bradley Hallman in in studio, uh, some other things that are going on uh, in the industry, some other shows and things you can listen to if you don't get enough of me on uh btl monday tuesday wednesday and thursday so this is btl on a monday we will be back right after this
1: are you looking to install your own fishing electronics the solution is the bass tank power harness it takes the guesswork out of installation no more voltage issues or interference designed by an engineer so that you can get professional results right there in your own garage installation done right with the help of the bass tank power harness you can feel confident knowing that your installation was done right the bass tank power harness give us a call or order yours today at
3: thebasstank.com get the best patterns backed by tournament data start by finding the best 10 percent of your lake know exactly what to look for and what to throw after that you just put them in the boat try the deep dive app today look at
0: that beast right there
3: I'm the kind of guy that never leaves a house without a pocket knife, and has come out with the EDC series of knives. EDC stands for everyday carry, so whether you're on the water or off, you can always have it with you. The best thing about it to me is that assisted open feature. With this D2 blade, you've got it right here at your fingertips, so if you can't find your scissors, you need to cut a knot, you need to cut your braid, you've always got it. Make sure you check it out. Never leave home without your Gamagatsu EDC knife. Born in Japan, using technology, innovation, and precision, Sunline produces the widest selection of fishing lines at the most technologically advanced line factory in the world. Manufactured at the strictest tolerances to produce victories at the highest levels of tournament bass fishing. From household names like Christie, Swindle, and Cruz, to young guns like Cook, Logan, New, and Welcher, they all trust Sunline to take them to the top of the leaderboard. Choose the line that will give you the strength to guarantee your confidence. Sunline. Having confidence in your tackle while on the water is one of the main things to success in my opinion. In the last couple years with Denali, I've had just that. From anything from spinning rods, casting rods, tungsten products, even now to casting and spinning reels, I have the confidence to go out there and get the job done and know that all my equipment is going to handle it and do it just the way I want it. The thing about Denali is you've got great quality products at a great price point, so make sure you check them out.
0: Have you considered purchasing? All right. Welcome back. Wrapping things up here. That was a cool show with uh, with Hank Parker. Really enjoyed, uh, <laughs> really enjoyed talking to him and kind of going down some of the memory lanes and getting into his mind. Uh, I do want to mention, uh, if you guys haven't had enough of me on BTL, last week I went to uh, Fort Worth, Texas and jumped on the bilge podcast with chris and trait zaldane uh that's been out for four or five days now but it's just a little bit kind of a deeper look behind uh btl and some of my thoughts and opinions on a lot of things that are going on in the industry i really like doing a show where we didn't have to talk about any any controversy or anything that's going on nothing mentioned no forward faces, sonar none of that stuff so uh if you want to go over i really enjoyed it i think it's a great show uh Chris and Trade Zalvane on the bilge. Uh I am headed immediately after this show is over. That's why I was kind of wrapping it up. I would have gone two hours with Hank, but uh I'm headed to, like I said, St. Jude's right after this St. Jude uh children's research hospital. So there is no show tomorrow. I'll be touring the St. Jude facility. Then I'm driving home tomorrow. I had a crazy weekend. I was at Taborock all week. Then I went to the Cowboys game last night. Now I'm doing the show here and now I drive to St. Jude in Memphis. Uh Today and tomorrow, but I will be back on Wednesday. Uh, Biggest news that broke probably last week. uh, Brad Hallman retiring from the Elite Series after just one year, his return. Uh, Talk to Brad this morning. Brad will be in studio this Wednesday, 12 p.m. Central Time. Uh, So if you guys have followed Brad over the course of years, wish him well uh, in his retirement and what he's doing going forward. That would be the ideal time. He's going to kind of talk it through a little bit, uh, but a very positive show uh, for Brad. And he's going to uh, to kind of talk through his uh, his mindset on his retirement. So I think that's all we got for the show for today. Like I said, I was keyed up for this one. Really enjoyed the heck out of it. Big shout out to Jim Van Ryan for Exxon. If you guys uh, haven't got a chance, head over to exxonelures.com. Check it out. Uh, Really kind of puts his money where his mouth is, not only on quality products, but also his pro team and how he goes about the business. And then also, obviously, the one and only two-time Bassmaster, Classic Champ, and Angler of the Year, and longtime host of Hank Parker Outdoors, Hank Parker. All right, that's all we got for today. We will see everybody on Wednesday at noon. Bradley Hallman in studio later.